The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Sunday, September 6th. Derek Van Riper joined today by Al Melchior. It's week eight of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball waiver season. It's hard to believe, Al, the season will be over three weeks from today. That uh, season has flown by and uh, only two more weeks of, of waivers, really, when you think about it. And if you're in a first-come, first-serve league, you're making moves until the very last days if you still have moves remaining but uh, this is probably the last big push uh, if you have a, a sizable chunk of your original free agent bidding budget left this is the time to use it with so many roles changing as a result of monday's trade deadline yeah and even if you're more like me and you don't have such a sizable chunk left you spend what you got absolutely get those bids stacked up uh, we're gonna start with bats today because i think there are a lot of hitters that I don't know if there's anyone in this group who has star potential value as a hitter even in the long run, but there are a lot of players in this group who are going to play a ton down the stretch, and maybe there are a few young guys that won't play at that star level now, but if you're in a keeper, dynasty league especially, you're excited to see them uh, getting more opportunities at the big league level. But let's talk about a guy that uh, at least has more of an opportunity now. He's never a highly regarded prospect, and that is Ty France. In most leagues, he's eligible at first base, second base, and third base, so you get versatility right away. Mariners manager Scott Service has already come out and said he's looking for regular playing time for France the rest of the way. I think they can pull it off. I mean, this is a clearly rebuilding Seattle team with holes at a few positions, and France can play those positions even if he's not necessarily an above-average defender. I mentioned the monster numbers at AAA. I didn't realize just how good Ty France was compared to other players at AAA in the past decade until I pulled up a Fangraphs leaderboard while putting the ads and drops column together. But only two hitters with a minimum of 200 plate appearances at AAA have been more productive than Ty France in the past decade. That list is all of Gavin Lux and Steven Souza Jr. And there are a lot of really good big leaguers around the top of that leaderboard. Carlos Santana, George Springer, Eloy Jimenez. Uh, Wilson Contreras, Brandon Lau is looking like a really nice player based on what we're seeing this year. So he's in good company, even if he was a bit older than you'd like him to be for the level. Do you think the Mariners may have traded their way into a, a regular with Ty France? I think so. And that's a pretty impressive list that you found there. Um, and, you know, you imagine Steven Souza, the career maybe he could have had if he had stayed healthy. But, um, yeah, that's good company to have, and the the numbers I, I think pretty much speak for themselves. Although, like you said, you put the, put it in the context of uh, maybe being a little bit old for some levels, but still the possibility of there being power, um, a, a pretty high batting average floor with some strong line drive tendencies. Uh, France is easily the hitter that if he's available, I'm going to be most aggressive in targeting this week. Yeah, I think he makes a lot of sense uh, because of that power, because of that opportunity, where he's going to hit in the Seattle lineup. It's not a terrible lineup at the top. It's just the bottom half of the order that's pretty weak that probably brings them to a slightly below average uh, overall offensive sort of grade. But definitely in on Ty France. I think it's going to take a reasonably aggressive bid to get him just because he does sort of stand out as the best hitter available of the players we're going to talk about. I think it's pretty close, though, between France and a former teammate, Josh Naylor, who might be... If he's not the biggest winner at the trade deadline, he's the second biggest winner behind France among position players. Uh, because in San Diego, he was just kind of blocked, didn't really fit at first base, moved to the outfield, lost some weight, and looks like he can play a more capable left field now than he did a couple years ago when I saw him in the Arizona Fall League. Naylor's always been a hit-first prospect, and he's been young for the level, kind of an opposite sort of development than Ty France. I'm excited to see what he does in Cleveland because aside from a clearer path to playing time, at least being on the big side of a platoon, I think Josh Naylor gets a pretty massive park boost as a left-handed hitter going from San Diego to Cleveland. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. Um, and 
they'll uh, the Indians will start this week with four games against the Royals at home. Uh, three of the starters that they're scheduled to face are righties. So, for, at least for deeper leagues, could be a nice week at the very minimum to uh, to be streaming Nailer. But uh, I don't know. I mean. You know, I remember talking about uh, him on the the Fancy Baseball in Fifteen podcast with Michael Beller, and he had a, a period late last season where he was finally getting some regular playing time and and hit better. And when he hasn't played regularly, he hasn't produced that much, uh, just in terms of rate stats. So it's kind of hard to gauge exactly what to expect from Josh Naylor. Uh, I'm not going to be going after him super aggressively, but I do like the uh, the streaming possibilities for this week. Yeah, I think that's the key. You do have to look at the schedule because they can mix and match at a couple of outfield spots in Cleveland. There's no indication there yet that they're going to give him a lot of opportunities to play against left-handed starters. So if in a five- or six-game week especially, they catch a couple of lefties, he's not necessarily playable in a weekly league. I think in the upcoming week, it's a seven-game week with two lefties right on the borderline. I think I would err on the side of actually playing him at least in 14, 15-team mixed leagues. Maybe in a 12, it's a little more of a wait-and-see sort of thing, possibly someone you'd think about uh, in, in 2021. Uh, but I do like this situation quite a bit because I don't think the playing time is going to be quite as sporadic as it was in San Diego. Um, so a nice bump for Naylor. I'm a little higher on him than you are. If France is going to command you know, 10% of an original budget, a low three-digit bid, for me, Naylor's probably like a 5 to 7% player in the leagues where I'm going to bid. I don't know if there's going to be a shallow impact between now and the end of the season, though, as I mentioned before. Uh, but I think the question here is, who's the next most interesting hitter? And there are a lot of candidates. It sort of depends on what you need. If you need some help at third base, there's a couple guys that can provide that. Cabrian Hayes was finally called up to the big leagues. And I think if it weren't for uh, a COVID-related absence during summer camp, he probably would have got the call earlier this season, Al. They were running uh, Philip Evans out there at third base for a little while, and, and Evans got hurt uh, in a collision uh, while playing defense a couple weeks ago. And Hayes finally gets this opportunity. He's always been a great defender. I think he's won multiple minor league gold gloves for the Pirates, just the guy that they, they love defensively at the hot corner. The hit tool has been further along than the game power everywhere he's played. He got to a little more power last year at AAA, but it came at the expense of, of batting average and OBP. Is Hayes a guy that you like in mixed leagues right now, or is he more of an NL-only sort of contributor in the short term with the long-term ceiling of becoming more of a mixed league contributor? Definitely the latter. Um, I have picked him up in NL only. Glad to have him there. But uh, yeah, I don't. Re- it would have to be a very deep mixed league for me to want to have Hayes on the roster and to see him as a, an upgrade over the other third base options. Um, yeah, in a, in a dynasty league, would be very excited to have Hayes on my roster. But for this season, there, you look at the minor league numbers and you're really. It's a term I don't like, but I can't think of a better one. It's sort of wish casting to, um, you know, think that he's going to be able to produce right away at the major league level and really give you something that's going to be valuable in fantasy. So uh, he'll get the uh, enough playing time to help you in an NL only and give you some counting stats. But I'm really not counting on much more than that. I wonder if, if Brian Hayes were a prospect in a different organization, if people would be more excited about him. I mean, if you if you step back and, and look at where he ranks, a top 50 prospect on a lot of lists, uh, maybe if we had more faith in the Pirates as an organization that could maximize its own talent, that would help along the way. Uh, but I do think there, there are going to be some issues with swing and miss in the short term. I don't think that's going to be part of his profile in the long run. I just think it's really difficult to make the adjustment. We've talked about this before. Coming from the alternate site, and facing big league pitching, especially when you're doing that for the very first time. So I do have him listed with a bid suggestion in the column for a more shallow mixed leagues. I think I have to be in a pretty bad spot defensive or at third base rather to even consider that. And I think you could actually make a case for Yairo Munoz to be maybe a better short term pickup. Like even if Brian Hayes is the hitter that we're talking about in this episode who has the brightest long term future as a big league player. Yairo Munoz hits the ball a little harder than people realize. He does bring power. He does bring a little bit of speed. And he's quietly playing a lot more now that Kevin Pillar is out of the mix in Boston. Yeah, I mean, the playing time is definitely going to be a plus for for Munoz. I think maybe even more so than Hayes, which is sort of a puzzling thing that 
Not only is he on the Pirates and hitting uh, lower in the order and not necessarily playing every single day. So there's a lot of things against Hayes um, that that are more in Munoz's favor. Uh, a better lineup context to be sure. Uh, probably, uh, or I would say definitely a more well-rounded profile at this stage. So um, yeah, whereas Hayes, I'm really hands off in any kind of mixed league context. Munoz, uh, 15 teamers, I think, um, you know, at minimum, that's that's a good place for him to to be on a roster. It's weird because I think if you look at these two players, it's going to take a bigger bid to get Hayes in some leagues because of the prospect <laughs> status. But yeah. Munoz makes more sense as a short-term play. I, I, I really think that's a, a strange a twist to have on there. I like that he's also eligible at third base and outfield, so you get some positional flexibility right away if you pick up Munoz at this point. I think 3 to 5% in a lot of leagues will get it done. Obviously, you can throw more at any player this week if you have it. It's more just thinking about this in terms of how good are these players really compared to other players we picked up this season, setting that as the baseline bid range, and then adding you know salt or uh, pepper or whatever seasoning you like to account for the desperation that your roster might have in a particular category or at a particular position. Uh, but yeah, Yairo Munoz kind of had that utility guy tag stuck to him coming out of St. Louis. I think he could be a little bit more than that. So could end up being a nice little pickup that Boston made that finally starts to see a lot more playing time here down the stretch. Uh, a lot of weeks we, we look at this player pool and we don't see much at the catcher position at all. And I've probably recommended Dalton Varsho in half of the ads and drops columns this season. <laughs> so it, uh, I've taken an L because he just hasn't played enough. He's finally playing more with the trade of Starling Marte to the Marlins on Monday. I thought all along the important thing with Varsho was if he's on that big league roster, you want him to at least play three or four times a week. He was playing once or twice a week for most of the season. It's cool to see a catcher who can play center field and actually play it well. I mean, that's the kind of athleticism we're talking about with Varsho. Had great numbers at AA last year. Had home runs, had steals, has a good hit tool. The leap from double A to the big leagues is tough, especially when you're not playing all the time. So I know the numbers are ugly right now, but what's your interest level in Varsho now that he's finally getting more steady playing time? Pretty high uh, in any two catcher league where he's available. He needs to be picked up this week. Uh, I actually have some skepticism that he'll be available in a lot of those leagues, but where he is, um, he's probably going to be your best option. Um, and, you know, you talk about the jump from double A, there's certainly some uncertainty there. We're going to talk about some other catchers I know uh, in a short bit here uh, who are going to have the same type of uncertainty. But when you look at who's available in a two-catcher league, why not go for the upside, whether, uh, you know, hopefully it gets achieved. But if it's not, uh, it's not like you're really missing out on, um, you know, really big impact production with your other options on waivers. Yeah, I think in most leagues, that second catcher spot is a bit of a black hole. You're chasing playing time. Roles change pretty quickly. You try to get someone who's got favorable matchups. You know, a week or two passes, the schedule gets tougher, and you're carrying either dead weight and batting average or a catcher with absolutely no power. And to have the possibility of getting some power and speed from that second catcher spot down the stretch is very appealing. So I'm definitely in on Dalton Varsho. It's going to take a slightly bigger bid this time around. I mean, before you could kind of sneak him in as a near min or even a mid bid sort of player because he wasn't playing enough. I think you got to go a little higher than that, if not a lot higher, depending on how aggressive your league mates are when it comes to uh, prospects finding playing time. Uh, but the catcher position, a lot of young options getting chances to play. Uh, Luis Torrens also going to Seattle as part of the swaps that the Mariners and Padres made back uh, over the course of the last week or so. And I think, Al, like with Luis Torrens, like we maybe get a little twisted up in the analysis because of the fact that he was a Rule 5 pick. And he basically just lost a year of development in 2017 because he was an extra catcher on a pretty bad Padres team. I think he played 56 games, only had 139 plate appearances. And that was after not previously playing above A ball. So a totally lost year. It goes down to high A in 2018. Has a solid season at the plate. Hits six homers. Plays 122 games. So definitely kind of made up for some lost time. Only struck out 15% of the time. Uh, you add it all up, and it's a slightly below average offensive profile. But then he explodes last year at the double-A level. 15 homers in just 97 games, a double-digit walk rate, a 142 WRC+, and 
played a little bit again with the Padres as a, a depth catcher this year before the trade, but he might actually be the catcher of the future now in Seattle. I, I think this is one of the more interesting players to consider in keeper and dynasty leagues where he's available, especially if you have to start two catchers, because I think Luis Torrens might be able to hit enough to actually stick on the radar in mixed leagues beyond this season. Yeah, and in an organizational situation where uh, I mean, there's a, just an absolutely clear path to playing time long term, and really should be short term. Uh, so, you know, very much in the same bucket as uh, as Varsho, except I think you know Varsho, we could look at him because he can play center field. Looking him, at him playing close to every day uh, with Torrance, it's more kind of the typical dilemma that we have with picking up a, a catching prospect um, to you know, fill in that second catcher seat, uh, hoping that he makes enough out of maybe three starts a week. But uh, again, considering your alternatives, still worth putting a bit on him. Yeah, I think if you look at Luis Torrens and Luis Campusano, the top prospect in the Padres system who was called up, actually was the DH, I believe, on Friday when he hit his first mm-hmm. big league home run. That was his first big league hit. You know, I think... Campusano was part of the reason why the Padres were so willing to part with Terenz. Also, you know, Francisco Mejia, even though he's had a down year, an organization that was just loaded at the catcher position. Uh, but Campusano, I think, brings the same problem that Dalton Varsho may have brought a couple of years ago. Do you trust him to play enough to the point where you can pick him up in a mixed league? I think the talent is something I'm not questioning at all. And I think defensively, he's progressed to the point where he's ready to be in the big leagues. But is he far enough along with the bat? And is he going to play enough to where you're confident having him on your roster in a mixed league? If I could be more confident in the playing time, I would be really interested in picking up Camposano. But, uh, you know, you've, you've framed this just right, that the issue is with the playing time for him uh, and just a, a loaded Padres roster. So I don't know if this is intentional or not, but we're, we're presenting these in the order where, um, you know, I would likely rank them in terms of my, my contingency bid. So, uh, Varsho is clearly the, the optimal choice here, uh, to Renz because of the playing time potential. He'd be my, my second pick in Campusano. Uh, I love the future, but for this year, I mean, the, the Padres, uh, they're, they're gearing up for a playoff run and it's hard to see him getting close to regular playing time. Yeah. I, I think it's gotta be probably a two catcher NL only league or, Maybe a 20-team mixer where you're starting two catchers in a redraft situation. If I'm going to think about adding Campusano, he's already rostered in most keeper and dynasty leagues. Obviously, he's appealing there uh, if he is available in those formats. Uh, One other player who I think is worth maybe a min-bid in some deeper leagues is Josh Rojas. I think the only thing that's working against him, really not sure he's going to play uh, against left-handed starters. So that's one major concern that really kind of pushes him to the deep mixed league bin. I think the other thing you got to look at is, even though it's only been 174 plate appearances uh, since he was acquired by the Diamondbacks at the trade deadline last season as part of that Zach Greinke trade, we just haven't seen a great start at the plate for him. A 216, 310, 301 line so far through 46 big league games. He's striking out 27% of the time. The good news is he is walking, so it's not a completely overwhelmed sort of profile, but uh, what's your level of interest in Josh Rojas now that he's kind of working as more of a utility guy the way we expected him to for this Arizona team coming into the season? Yeah, strictly NL only. And I, I hesitate on that a little bit because he's one of these uh, post-hype uh, players that maybe he just busts out over these last few weeks. And um, then I, I realize I've, I've missed out on something. But for all the reasons that you just outlined that um, he's probably not playing every day, that the major league track record just isn't there. Um, if I'm looking for hitting help, I'm looking for I'm looking elsewhere. I mean, it's er, it's too early to write him off completely, but I just have not been thrilled with what we've seen last year. The average exit velocity was okay at 89 miles per hour. It's been down a little bit in the handful of games he's played so far. So he does hit the ball hard enough, and he does take walks. So it's just a question of getting him more playing time. I think there's still enough of a question there where I'm hesitant to believe that Rojas is going to carve out a larger role in the final weeks of the season. Not impossible, but not the most likely scenario uh, in my estimation. Uh, Al, a couple other players that I know you wanted to bring up. Uh, two Tigers, Victor Reyes and Jaimer Candelario. And I think with with Reyes, it's like, I I don't know if I just wrote him off because of the Rule 5 stuff, the same as Luis Torrens, where he got that first opportunity with the Tigers in 2018 and barely played. And when you're not playing every day, it's very hard to get into a groove, especially when you're 
making the leap from double uh, A and skipping a level entirely. And I, I just I keep looking back at, at Reyes and thinking, did I miss something? Or is this just a really solid player who's playing more than he would anywhere else? I mean, the numbers look great. And this kind of goes back to last year, too. It's, it's the opposite of, of Rojas. If you take a snapshot of last season and this season, you get a guy who's hitting over 300. He's hit seven homers. He's 14 for 18 as a base dealer in 105 games combined of these last two seasons. Like that's a that's a really nice player. That's a a fourth or fifth outfielder in most mixed leagues where you got to start that many. Maybe even in 12 team formats. Yeah, and you know uh, if you've been overlooking him, you've got a lot of company because he's just not that widely owned. And part of what. Um, put Reyes on my my radar was doing a sort and looking at which teams have been really hot the last couple of weeks. And I was doing that actually to looking at into pitching matchups and, you know, which pitchers were going up against, you know, hot lineups and, and which were going against uh, some bad lineups. And Tigers ranked fifth in WOBA among major league teams uh, over the last 14 days. Number one, by the way, was also a surprise, the Giants. Um but, uh, you know, looking up and down the Tigers lineup, so, you know, some of it are, are players that are overperforming. I would put Willie Castro in that category. But, um, you know, Reyes, as you said, I mean, we've seen this skill set before. We saw it last year. He's already scored 23 runs in 130 plate appearances. So hitting it top the lineup for a, a team that is producing well uh, offensively. Uh, we're, and we're seeing a bit more power as well. So five stolen bases already. And again, that's roughly on the pace that he set for himself last season. And then on top of that, the, the hard hit rate way up. And I understand it's a small sample, but you're talking about a hot hand here on a hot team hitting atop the lineup. Uh, so particularly if you need run help or stolen base help, I think Reyes is a must add. Yeah, now his teammate, Jamer Candelario, has been on my radar for a few weeks because the stack cast numbers are good. But that's where... That's where Reyes is impressing me, too. Like, if you look at some of the underlying numbers, he's hit the ball harder uh, each of the last three seasons, right? He's picked it up from 85.4 that year. He was a Rule 5 pick, up to 87.5 last year, up to 90.4. And when you start tracing those numbers back to the scouting grades, I love looking at the scouting grades over at Fangraphs. I think it's just really instructive as to uh, what smart people thought a player was going to be. That report comes from 2018, the year he was a Rule 5 pick. But here's the interesting thing. A 50-grade hit tool with a future 55, a 50-grade raw power, which it's average, 60-grade speed, so above-average speed, 55 field, so you know above-average defensively, that carries some playing time, and an average arm with a 50 arm. The thing that was working against him at the time was 30-grade game power with a future 35, which is well below average. And you look at those tools and you see a future value 40, and you kind of scratch your head a little bit because maybe that's a function of him skipping over a level and, again, being put in the big leagues really quickly. But I think those tools and some of the evidence we have of more game power than expected suggest that he has exceeded expectations. And when we think about just looking for speed and how difficult that is and how outfield needy this Tigers team is. I think Reyes is one of those guys who's also going to be pretty underrated going into 2021, even if he continues to play really well on the stretch. I think there's just a certain amount of stink on the Tigers' offense, even though this team <laughs> hasn't been nearly as bad as we expected. And I think uh, you know Reyes could, again, be a five-category player going forward. And uh, kudos to the Tigers for, for finding him the way that they did. Yeah, and you know a name that kind of pops up for me uh, is a comparison, and, and going back to maybe I was primed because you were talking about Rule Five players, but Victor Shane uh, or <laughs> Victor Shane Arino. How about Shane Victorino instead? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Sunday, folks. Um, you know uh, that it, it took you know it took us in fantasy a few years to kind of come around and give him his due, and I think partly because of that that Rule Five status. And I understand Reyes. Um, you know, maybe uh, isn't the perfect comp, but um, that you know that's what popped up for me. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, you look back at some of the early career numbers from uh, Shane Victorino. Didn't walk a ton early on, but kept the strikeout rate nice and low. Showed that power speed combo. Got a lot of green lights early in his career. I don't, I don't know if if teams will even let anybody run quite that much. I mean, there's a few exceptions. Guys like Trey Turner and. Uh, maybe Trevor Story and some of Jose Ramirez over full seasons. Maybe those guys could still get 30 bags, but I think that's a really nice uh, call because you, you're talking about average, you're talking about a little bit of power, you're talking about some speed, really just a well-balanced player who came into the league 
sooner than expected and with very little fanfare. So again, hats off to the Tigers for uh, getting a lot of mileage out of Reyes to this point. Just looks like they found a little bit of a gem in that Rule 5 draft. As Candelario goes, uh, he's tricky because I think he was nearing the point in his career, Al, where most people had lowered their expectations. Like I liked him as a prospect in the Cubs organization. I thought... Uh, the plate skills he had would carry him to be a very productive corner infielder for a long time, even if he was more of a high teens, low 20s home run guy at his peak. I just thought we'd see a good batting average, a really good OBP, and a steady run producer who could hit maybe sixth in a good lineup. And that's sort of what he's finally become. It's just taken a lot longer than expected. Yeah, and uh, except now he's hitting cleanup because, uh, you know, even though they're hitting well, I mean, it's not a, a super deep lineup. So, again, a team that is hitting pretty well, especially up at the top and with uh, Candelario in that uh, that cleanup spot and, uh, you know, showing a bit more power this year. Um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, at that minimum, you've got somebody who might be a good hot hand play uh, for a one week streamer. And, and maybe he, you know, parlays listen to something a little bit more over the, uh, the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely some interest there, even in more shallow mixed leagues where he's still hanging around on the wire. If you're looking for some help at the corner infield spot, our sponsor today, Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, a travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. There are plenty of pitchers to talk about to bid on this week. We're going to break them down in just a moment. All right, Al, let's move on to the pitchers now. I think among starting pitchers, Michael Pineda came up on the show uh, last week while I was gone. In some leagues, he wasn't eligible to be picked up. NFBC leagues in particular, Michael Pineda was not in the pool yet, having not pitched this year and having not been drafted in a lot of leagues as he was serving out the rest of his suspension for testing positive for a diuretic last year. Pineda could be an ace down the stretch. He's not an ace long-term. He doesn't strike enough guys out to be a top-tier pitcher. But I think in terms of having a low walk rate, the potential for an elite whip, maybe you get an ERA closer to four over a long season, but you could get much better than that over a handful of starts. Obviously, the team context is favorable in Minnesota. There's plenty of run support. There's a decent bullpen protecting his leads. I think Pineda sort of ticks all the boxes. If you've been dealing with a lot of injuries to your key pitchers this might be one of your last chances to pick up a guy and probably throw 20 plus percent of your budget out there to get him if you still have that left uh, and and really make an impact on your pitching the rest of the way yeah i mean uh if you need pitching or frankly even if you don't uh, you need to put a pretty aggressive bid in on pineda the the uh, season debut for him was super encouraging and uh, you know that he's got that spot wrapped up in the twins rotation. Uh, there's just really no reason not to make him a priority. I think he's basically a no brainer at this point. So throw as much fab as he comfortably can at Pineda this week. I think the rest of the pitching pool, while there are lots of names to talk about, there are more questions than answers with most of these guys. And it begins with Davey Garcia I think he's looked really good in his first two big league appearances. I picked him up in Tout Wars last week, which was a little bit risky because you have to start any player that you pick up in Fab. Uh, he didn't quite go five. He had a couple inherited runners that scored when he left after four and two thirds. So it wasn't a great decision on my part, but at least I have him now if I want to you know, put him on the bench, pull him back in. I, I have that flexibility. Uh, there seems to be this loose assumption, though, that he's going to start against the Jays on Wednesday, even though Davey Garcia was optioned to the alternate site because he was the 29th man for the doubleheader that the Yankees played on Friday. Do you trust that Garcia is actually in this rotation, even though the Yankees, at least at the time of this recording, have not publicly confirmed that? I don't think we can make that assumption. Uh, they've just, you know, there's there's too many other 
options um, in play there. Uh, you know, Schmidt and King, uh, I think the the primary ones. I, you know, I I tend to think that this is really just more of a hunch than anything that he'll get that start. But it really depends what your needs are. Um, I think if you know you have the opportunity to get him that uh especially if you're not in a super tight race and you can afford to take a risk it's a great upside play but there's definitely some risk involved i think more so with uh him actually getting that start than there is about him having a good enough start if he does make it yeah i i think that's the the main concern because if i were ranking these guys based on talent garcia would be behind pineda and ahead of everybody else we're going to talk about but the uncertainty about garcia at least right now makes me say, okay, be careful. If I have an immediate clear need, I have to start bidding up other guys instead and, and put Garcia a little further down the list. It really is kind of a, a luxury. You have to have either a very healthy bench or you have to have uh, some flexibility on your roster to get away with holding on to a player you might not be able to use at this point in the season. We've talked about the importance of playing time uh, throughout and with so little time left to make up ground. If you're trying to chase strikeouts, you're trying to chase wins, you can't afford to pick up a guy and have to wait a full week before he pitches again. So uh, I know we're talking about this a little before noon Eastern on Sunday, and a lot could change between now and when Fab runs in most leagues on Sunday night. But at this point, you have to be careful. Be ready to jump those bids up if we get a confirmation from Brian Cashman or Aaron Boone that Garcia will take the ball for that start. Because compared to these other guys we're going to talk about, Davey Garcia especially should be very productive. Uh, Jose Urquidy came back, Al. 63 pitches in his return on Saturday. He's widely owned in, in competitive leagues because I think people were uh, waiting on him for a week or two. It seemed like he'd be back a little sooner than this. This was you know his first start of the season because of a, a COVID absence. And he goes on the road to Oakland for his next start. So when you look at the workload from Saturday, the kind of mediocre line that came with it, and a tough road matchup for his next turn, What's your interest level in the places where Urquidy is available? Pretty limited, DVR. <laughs> uh, yeah, the 12-team league, I just think there's there's much better, much safer options out there. 15-teamer, uh, I mean, if he's available and I can pick him up, I think he'd be a nice uh, pitcher to stash, but I don't want to take the risk uh, after his start on Saturday just not looking that great. So... Um, that that's pretty much my level of interest in the deep league. Yeah, I'll be happy to plug him in, but otherwise, it's it's wait and see. Yeah, I think that's sort of where I'm at too. Even though I believe in the talent, I mean, long term, I still think he's going to be a member of this rotation in 2021. This doesn't help you in the final three weeks, and I don't really want to throw him at Oakland, thinking that his cap for pitches is probably going to be in that 75 to 80 range, based on what we saw. On Saturday, let's talk about Dane Dunning for a moment. He's not available in a ton of leagues either, but in shallow leagues where he is available, I think he's a streamer. I know we were just giving compliments to uh, Victor Reyes and Jamer Candelario and saying that the Tigers offense hasn't been as bad as we expected. I still want to stream against them, even though they've had success, which uh, might seem like conflicting ideas. But the bottom line <laughs> here is that I like the White Sox. I think the White Sox are going to score at will against most teams. I think Dunning is the kind of pitcher who doesn't usually hurt himself too much with free passes. I think he can go in there and actually strike out more batters than usual because of Detroit's swing and miss tendencies. Well, that that's a good point. I mean, if you are going to go for strikeouts, the Tigers are still a pretty pretty nice matchup. I will say I have gotten burned this season um, streaming against the Tigers, so I'm pretty uh, averse to doing that this week. But that's you know neither here nor there because I just want to start Dane Dunning just based on what he's done so far. So um, there aren't, I can't really think of too many opponents I would be reluctant to start him against uh, at this point. Yeah, so he's uh, two thumbs up from Al and I at this point as someone that you definitely want. But again, limited availability because he's already been held on to. And I really whiffed on that because I thought when he made his debut, he was going back down. I think Gio Gonzalez got hurt and then... Uh, Ronaldo Lopez got demoted, so Dunning's safely in that rotation now. So just a, a, a bad read or bad timing, at least, for me, as uh, my interest in Dun Dane Dunning was pretty low when he was more widely available. Uh, let's talk about Johan Oviedo, though, for a second. This is a guy who is widely available, and I think he's a guy that very few people are familiar with because he doesn't appear on a lot of top overall prospect lists. 
Oviedo, as I wrote in the column, is another one of those pitchers where he lives at the intersection of good stuff and shaky command. But those pitchers are really interesting to me when they bring a four-pitch arsenal to the table. And Oviedo does that. And I think this is pretty interesting because he also throws hard. We're talking about a guy that averages just over 95 miles per hour on his fastball. So if you want to buy in on stuff, I think this is a good time to do it. If he was a two-pitch guy that had a 95-mile-hour fastball and threw a slider and was starting and didn't have good command, I'd say he's probably a future reliever who's just starting because he has to. Uh, But what's your interest level in Johan Oviedo? Uh, Well, I did pick him up in an NL only, but that's pretty much the extent of of my interest. And uh, it's a bit of a dilemma because he is projected to have a two-start week this week, but he starts off at the Cubs. I think that's a really dangerous matchup. And uh, it always makes sense to prioritize that first matchup a little bit when when making these decisions because they may not get the second one. And the second one is against the Reds, who could also be dangerous. So uh, on top of that, now DVR, you and I have talked about this, um, but if I'm looking at a player's profile, pretty much the first place that I go to in terms of digging a level deep, deeper is looking at the uh, plate discipline profile that they have on, on fan graphs. And mm-hmm. Oviedo's is just ugly. <laughs> it's a really, really bad looking profile so far. Uh, so it, as tough as it is to, to do this, um, you know, especially if you're trying to catch up in the standings, I would rather take this two start week as an opportunity to see how he does compiling some more stats and looking at him for the, the weeks ahead than uh, taking the chance that maybe he's going to make two really bad starts. It may be too specific, but I think if you're near the bottom of your league in ERA and whip, I think I'm a lot more inclined to say, yeah, I'm throwing 5 or 7% of my budget at this guy for the two-star week. Because if you can only lose a couple of standings points in ratios, there's a chance that he holds his own in at least one of those starts, doesn't balloon the ratios, pulls away with a win, and maybe comes up with 9 or 10 strikeouts. Like That's in the range of outcomes. I mean, that's, that's the two-star week kind of defined in an unnecessary number of words, I guess. But uh, but I, I agree with you on the matchups. There's no guarantee of that second start. Those are tough spots for him. Uh, I, I think he's more interesting to me in keeper and dynasty leagues. I think there's some, some long-term formats where he's out yeah. there. And if they're giving him this chance now, there's certainly no guarantee that he uh, is going to make the big league roster to begin 2021. We're talking about a guy with command issues who skipped over AAA. So it's a, hey, maybe he shows them more than expected sort of lottery ticket in those long-term formats. But I do like Oviedo if you're in that situation I described. If your ratios are already pretty messed up, take the chance because you're looking for strikeouts, you're looking for wins, and two starts is one of the easiest ways to get that. And there's really, if you look around at like a typical 15-team league, most guys who are starting this week are just rostered. It's amazing. I don't know if teams are holding a few more uh, pitchers than usual or, or what the deal is maybe it's because of the injuries and the few guys that are available in a lot of leagues have just putrid skills uh, but it seems like there's not a lot out there quality wise with pitching most weeks it's part of the reason why the pineda bids have to be so ridiculous too there's just a massive gap between pineda and dunning if he's available and in, in the field but uh, the other names that i thought were worth discussing this week Caleb Smith could be coming back from the COVID IL soon. He was scheduled to pitch on Saturday at the alternate site. I think the problem here is similar to what we just saw yesterday with Jose Urquidy, though, Al, where he comes back and maybe he throws 80 pitches. Maybe he's not quite himself. There's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to these players coming off of the injured list because of COVID. We don't know if they have lost strength or if they even feel 100% like themselves. We've had a wide variety. Some guys have come back and been fine. Some guys have come back and and said they still don't feel right almost two months later. And I think that adds this extra layer of uncertainty, aside from the fact that we don't know yet when exactly Smith's going to pitch. So if he's available in your league, are you bidding or are you saying there's just too much risk here and moving on to the next guy? If I have room to stash Smith, uh, I am definitely bidding. And uh, I actually like him a little better than Arkady. So I think you correctly lump them together in terms of the, the same type of outlook. But um, yeah, if I'm going to bid on Arkady, I'm going to bid a little bit more on Smith. That's interesting. I, I like Arkady's skills a little bit more. Uh, so I think we're flipped on that. But I, I I think if you are bidding on one, you probably are bidding on both at this point because they, they do bring a lot of potential value if they can get things to click here 
down the stretch. Uh, let's go to John Fleming for a moment. I think, or Josh Fleming. I called him, why did I call him John? <laughs> let's go to Josh Fleming for a moment. <laughs> the uh, interesting thing about Fleming is that if he were on any other team, I would say there's no way this works. But the Rays have made this work before. Low 90s fastball, two decent secondary pitches, mostly a control first sort of skill set. He's gone at least five innings each of his first three big league starts. I think he's the kind of guy that could get hit around any given start just because he doesn't miss that many bats. But Al, how do you not believe when he's a member of the Rays? Yeah, no, that organizational uh, aspect of it, it, it definitely uh, has an impact on, on the way I perceive him. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, he's shown me enough uh, that I I want him uh, if he's available. And, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of these pitchers who are high upside, high risk, and, and Fleming is much more kind of middle of the road. But, um, you know, particularly if you're in a tighter race, that's maybe uh, a, a better play than yeah. uh, some of these riskier pitchers. And I, think, I wonder, too, if John Fleming is related to Adam Savali. <laughs> could be. He really, he really could be. Uh, Tommy Malone, I think, came up on the show last week. I only wanted to bring him up again. He's such a, such a weird year. 36 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio, 35 and two-thirds. But a 530 ERA and a 143 whip because he is very hittable. 47 hits allowed. Seven of those have been home runs. He got smashed in his debut last Sunday night. Kind of bounced back last time out for the Braves. Going to make his third start Wednesday at home against the Marlins, who do have the 24th ranked offense in the league, 88 WRC+. So if you are in a streaming situation, it's a little bit like the Oviedo problem that I discussed earlier. If your ratios are already terrible and you can afford to take on more water in those categories... I think you have to at least consider Malone as a near min bid streaming option in mixed leagues. Oh, absolutely, and I I really liked the move for him to Atlanta because I, I think that that you know his his big problem throughout his career at times has been the home run, and he's in a much better park obviously than uh, Oriole Park. He's got a a really nice matchup as you as you mentioned, and um, really nice streaming op- stream option for the week. Let's talk about Adbert Alzale for a second. We were really excited about him when he got his first opportunity with the Cubs last year. He's pitched well out of the bullpen in very limited chances, six scoreless innings, eight Ks, two walks. Probably has a chance to stick in the rotation the rest of the way. I think the only major concern I have is that his last appearance was one in which he only pitched one inning for the Cubs. So uh, how stretched out he is ends up being a pretty significant question to think about. Are you bidding on Alzale beyond NL-only leagues this weekend? I could see bidding on him in a 15-team league and just making him a, a, a conditional bid uh, behind the likes of uh, Urquidy and Smith. Um, you know, so same kind of thing. Look and see uh, how how deep he pitches, how well he pitches, and could be a very very useful pitcher to have over the last few weeks. Kind of in the the bottom of the barrel at this point in terms of pitchers that we're thinking about, and again framing this in the context of. I don't care about my ratios at this point. I just want volume. Some two-start weeks that might be of interest. Jose Urena is lined up to get his first two starts of the 2020 season at Atlanta and versus Philly. Is there any appeal there? Nah, and I was thinking of him too when you were uh, talking about Caleb Smith and you know uh, what, what impact uh, COVID might have there. So um, just way, way too much risk and, and frankly not enough reward to justify it. At most, like a $1 guy for me in a 15-teamer where those ratios are already foobard. Uh, how about Robbie Erlin? A two-start week for him. Home against Miami. Road against Washington. He was a prospect I was excited about once upon a time back in, <laughs> in San Diego. But he's been going four innings pretty consistently. Uh, four innings actually in his last four appearances. He's got a little bit of a home run issue. He seems pretty hittable. I don't see it. Uh, is there anything that I'm missing with Erlin? Nah, no, no interest at all. Um, I mean, if I needed a, a spot filler and NL only, and he were available there, um, sure, I'd, I'd bid a little bit. But um, yeah, and that, even though it's not the first start, that national start uh, bothers me a little bit because even though uh, you know they've uh, not played well overall, uh, that's that's a scary offense still. Yeah, I don't really want any part of Washington's offense with Erlin. I guess if you were in a league where you could use him only against Miami and then cut him loose, you could 
possibly do that. But again, you got to be in the bad ratios situation to even consider it. Uh, the same probably holds true for Asher Wojciechowski. Two on the road in New York. First one against the Mets. Second one against the Yankees. I have to imagine, even though there was a little bit of intrigue there last year, you're probably not that excited to use him in those matchups. Uh, I'm I'm not excited, period. And it's actually, it's the Mets matchup that scares me a lot more, uh, which feels a little bit odd to say. But in that two-week sort that I did DVR, Yankees have, have had one of the worst offenses in the major leagues over the last two weeks. And, you know, it's not uh, them at full strength, but they're actually a team to consider uh, streaming against, but uh, not in this particular case. Yeah, that's uh, pretty wild. I mean, they have been banged up and the, the depth, as good as it is, uh, is going to go through stretches where they're just not playing at that crazy high level that we're accustomed to. I do think some of the ugly one-start streamers, not like physically ugly in terms of appearance, but just you uh. know, guys with ghastly ratios or skills flaws, I think those guys are more interesting than the two-start uglies this week. Uh, Chris Bubik gets the Pirates on Thursday. Still looking for that first big league win. I think he's going to get it. I think this is the streamer that I really want. Uh, same here. Same here. Uh, but DVR, don't look. He's not available in Tout Wars. Just trust me. <laughs> I thought I saw Jeff Zimmerman pick him up a couple weeks ago. But maybe, maybe he cut him. I'm going to guess that uh, he is out there. And I'm going to have to go throw down a bid. But I'm not going to go overboard. It's just, uh, can, can I outfox Al to get the pitcher I want? That's the question. Stay tuned for, uh, for a Fantasy Baseball in 15 on Monday to find out the answer uh, on that one. Uh, but Robert Gazelman and Rick Porcello are home against the Orioles. They're both available in my TGFBI league, at least. I think they're probably available in a lot of leagues. Uh, Porcello has been just... Ugh. I, I, I thought the NL would be good for him. I thought he'd maybe get back to being, I don't know, like a low fours ERA guy with a good whip. Like I, I thought that was at least a possibility. Like, like 2018 Rick Porcello, a 428 ERA, a 118 whip in Boston. I thought he could do that with the move back into the National League. Uh, and if you look at the more recent body of work, you know, the whip's been a little better the last couple of starts. Still, the ERA's been bloated. Do you chance it with Porcello or Gazelman against the Orioles at home? Nah, I, I see no upside to be had there. Now, here's the one I know you'd like this guy because you put him on the rundown. Uh, Colby Allard at Seattle and versus Oakland. Actually, he's a two-star pitcher for the upcoming week, so I should have put him in with the other guys, except for the fact that I think he's better than those other guys. Uh, so my question for you with Allard, what type of strikeout rate do you think we're going to get long term? Is he always going to be the kind of guy that you look at and kind of worry about that category? He's got 23 Ks and 25 innings so far this season. So that's a, a step in the right direction. But his minor league numbers were never eye popping once he got to that double A level in terms of a K per nine or K percentage. Do you think he's actually unlocked something recently? It's honestly just too hard to tell. Um and he hasn't gone deep in a whole lot of starts. In fact, his last one against the Astros, um, his best start of the season, um, I actually had a, a five scoreless uh, inning start against the Angels. That was also pretty good, but arguably his best start of the season. Um, you know, so it's hard to know if he's going to be able to string a few of these together. So I don't, I don't know how long lasting this is, but I figure he's going to be at least like average for strikeouts. He's going to be decent enough. And he has put two really good starts together, the one against the Astros and then one before that against the the Athletics. Um, and these are, you know, I think uh, better matchups that he has this week. It's definitely a Hail Mary play if you need to catch up. But in, if you're going to be doing that, I'd rather go with Allard than Oviedo, to be honest. I just, I like the profile better. Um, you know, I really in particular like the uh, first start at Seattle for him. So I think if you're going to make a risky two-start play, Allard's probably my favorite one that is likely to be on waivers. Yeah, less ceiling, more floor. Uh, I think being able to throw strikes goes a long way in the big leagues, and I think Allard can do that. At least you can expect that with a little more confidence. So uh, I might have undersold Allard as far as not including him in the piece for this week. So I think it's a good call bringing him up as a two-start pitcher that you should strongly think about. And I think you've got him kind of placed along, along the right lines uh, with uh, less risk than Oviedo, even though he's probably going to bring fewer strikeouts, but he's more likely to make both of those starts. He's probably more likely to get 10-plus innings in those two starts. So yep. that might offset the difference in skills between those two players. Let's talk about closers for a moment. You'd think with the trade deadline, we'd have a few more closers to talk about, but it's pretty bad. Uh, Archie Bradley's departure from Arizona was one that earlier in the week, I kind of wondered with Eno, is it going to be Junior Guerra? Is it going to be Kevin Ginkle, even though Ginkle hasn't pitched well? 
Geekle got a chance on Tuesday, blew a save against the Dodgers, got another chance on Friday and converted. Really hasn't pitched well this season, but he's the guy for now, and that's all that matters. And it's a pretty good fastball slider combination. If you look back at what Ginkle did last year, Al, he looked like one of the better closers in waiting around the league. So now that he has the opportunity, saves are clustered in a lot of leagues. Is Ginkle sort of the closer equivalent to Michael Pineda in terms of interest, even though he doesn't have a long track record of success in the big leagues? No, I think he's in a different category. I just think there's a lot more risk there. I'm also not assuming he's he's the guy for now. I th- it looks more like a maybe a save sharing situation in Arizona. And I actually had gone out and picked up Junior Guerra in a couple of leagues. Just and and, I, and I'll stand by that because if I'm going to have somebody in that situation, uh, I'd want the one with the best skills. And this this season, he's been the best reliever remaining in that bullpen so far. I'm also really mad that I did not think of the team name that you put in your column, Ginkle is Einhorn. Um, and, and this is really sad, DVR, because I have a team that was that I named after Ginkle for almost like a whole year. And it was it was such a bad name. Ginkle Biloba. <laughs> when I could have when I could have been going with Ginkle is Einhorn. I'm I'm so mad. See, I, I switched. I went to Ginkle is Eichhorn. I, I went double baseball pun because, okay. Okay. well, I went double because you know, Mark Eichhorn was a good pitcher for a stretch. He was actually kind of a, a hack in Project Goat, too. People remember that on the, the Rates and Barrels pods from, from the shutdown period. But yeah, I think mean, like, anything that rhymes with Finkel is immediately going to get the <laughs> Inkle is. Einhorn or some version of that. That is, that's where if you you saw that movie in the '90s, you saw Ace Ventura. That's where your head will go every single time. Um, but I, I know you could appreciate. You always appreciate a good pun. So yeah, I basically I'm, wrote that in the column for you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, it, it, it was it was worth it, and yet it's still it just it, it really upset me. My brain did not go there, and it should have. Uh, so yeah, not not really interested in Ginkle. I felt gross after I wrote it. To be completely honest, though. Yeah. I never feel good about puns. Uh, let's move on to a couple other possible closer situations. Baltimore is still a mess. Cole Salzer has been demoted. Hunter Harvey's back, and he's interesting because he throws hard, and he's a former prospect, but I can't justify more than a mid-bid, if that. i just not convinced that it's a situation where the job's even his. It could be his one day, and if they have a save situation the next day, he's probably not going to pitch because I don't think they're going to push him in back-to-backs. I think they're going to be really careful with him and try and get more mileage out of him in the long run, which I hope they do. I just I have so little faith that he can stay healthy at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no interest there because yeah, the, probably the best case scenario is splitting saves over the last three weeks and um, yeah, um, like I said, maybe minimum bid just to maybe get somebody rostered who could give you a save or two. Uh, what do you think about Salser, Salsa, Seltzer? Jeez. Oh, uh, I don't think about it. Oh. <laughs> well, it's good that he's, he's uh, not closing anymore because I, I could have named a team that. That's, you know, it's a, a Seinfeld reference. Yeah, yeah, and there's uh, what uh, you could do, uh, Helter Salzer, if you really wanted to, to get really goofy with it. You could try that. Yeah. Yeah. These are terrible. Uh, do you see any sort of obvious path to saves for anybody in that Mariners bullpen? Well, uh, on uh, Fantasy Baseball in 15, I think it was, it was with Michael Beller, so uh, forgive me if it was our conversation. I think it was with Michael that, um, you know, we were in agreement that uh, Yoshihisa Hirano was the the obvious play there. Um, but I kind of, I kind of like Johan Ramirez. So if I'm going to throw a dollar out there for, um, you know, a spare save here and there, um, especially if Hirano is not available, I wouldn't be opposed to doing that. Yeah. I think with Hirano, I don't know. I mean, Ramirez has picked up two saves this week. I, I thought Hirano was the guy and I'm rethinking it as of Sunday morning, at least I think, I see those skills that you see with Ramirez and think, well, hey, if you want to see if you have your next closer, maybe roll them out there for the rest of the month. Teams do that sometimes. The rebuilding teams, they try to get a sense of what next season's really going to look like. I think Hirano is there on a one-year deal, so he's probably gone at the end of the season anyway. So I was definitely with Hirano being the most likely candidate when Taylor Williams was traded, but I think they've shown us just enough to where I trust Ramirez a bit more. So I think... If I'm bidding on some closers this weekend, 
Ginkle's first. He gets the biggest bid. Ramirez is probably second. And then maybe Dollar Day is sort of bids on Harvey, Junior Guerra, and Hirano. And that's in situations where, for those last couple guys, I can bench them and not start them. Like I don't think in Tout Wars I want to take the chance on a, a short reliever with sort of mediocre skills in hopes of getting saves because it can just blow up so tremendously if it goes wrong. Yep, I'm very aware of that uh, that possibility. <laughs> You've lived that nightmare. <laughs> yeah. uh, one other closer thought as we kind of transition to a few drops. I mean, Archie Bradley is a drop at this point, right? He's he's good, but he's not great, and it just looks like they're sticking with Rysel Iglesias at this point. Yeah, I think unless you know it's just a deep league and there's just very little hope of getting any kind of saves on waivers. Um, but yeah, it's it's a real long shot. So anywhere that. That's not your situation. Uh, it's definitely safe to drop Bradley. Yeah, Bradley ended up closing out a win in which the Reds were up by four on Saturday night. And Iglesias, I think, has the only saves the Reds have picked up since Bradley was acquired. So they haven't made a change there yet. I just, I think you can't really wait forever unless your pitching's a mess. And well, even if your pitching's a mess, you need to take a chance on guys who throw more innings than a short reliever. So Archie Bradley, a safe drop, I think, at this point. Any other drops that you're thinking about? I think there were some pretty obvious ones, like Taylor Williams isn't a closer anymore. Jacoby Jones had a, a broken hand. It, just, it didn't feel like a week where there were a lot of one-size-fits-all sort of drops when I was writing up the column. I'll tell you, the only one that's top of mind, and it's just because somebody on my roster who um, I've been thinking of dropping for the last week or two, and, and there's a better case to make it now, is David Peralta, because uh, he's not playing every day and just has had a, a pretty bad season. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really seeing much payoff in keeping him around for the last few weeks. Yeah, the Peralta is surprising. The plate skills are still pretty good. 281 average, 333 OBP. But the lack of power is really disappointing. That 30 home run season back in 2018 is standing out as a, a major outlier. I know health's been a problem for him. I think it was a shoulder injury that really hampered him a year ago. I think he's going to be a very much like an end game sort of pick, a dollar day sort of guy going into 2021. And it's going to take some some further digging to decide if I'm going to be uh, taking that flyer even at that reduced price on David Peralta. So I think that's a good call. And we had one listener question come in from Mike G. Uh, Ian Kahn brought up Justin Upton earlier this week on Under the Radar and with Brian Goodwin gone, playing time is less of a concern. So Mike G wanted to know, is Justin Upton an add and start pretty much everywhere with this uh, increase in playing time again? I'd say pretty close to it. I'll definitely look at him as an option. In fact, that that league where I have Peralta is a 12-teamer. So I, I'm expecting that Upton will be out there. And he might be one of the better better options to replace Peralta. Yeah, I think he's worth looking at in 12-team situations. I don't know if he's automatically an upgrade for everybody out there, though. I think the skills have eroded a bit. There is more swing and miss than there used to be. Even with that uptick in playing time, it's more like two in the lineup and one off or three in the lineup and one off as opposed to you know five out of five or six out of six. Like He's still getting some rest. They're mixing in Franklin Barreto now a little bit. I think Barreto started a game in left field in the last couple of days. Uh, a little bit of Jared Walsh here and there too, uh, so I, I think like the call is generally right to be interested in him again because those guys play less than Brian Goodwin did, and that is key. And we're all, we are talking about a guy that's homered twice in his last five games, seems to be getting settled in at the plate, and that was something that Ian said that was really interesting is that he thinks Upton's one of those players that has these really good stretches where he gets locked in and does a ton of damage, and then he has a stretch where kind of flails away and, and just drags you down for a little while. But in a 162, you know, you just you ride that out and you end up being fine in the end most years with Upton. In a shortened season, when the playing time got pulled away, it was really hard to justify holding on to him for a little while. So um, I'm more in than out at this point, and this comes from somebody who recommended him as a drop when he wasn't playing a couple of weeks ago because that situation has changed uh, just enough. Uh, anything else on your mind here, Al, as we uh, we get ready to sign off? No, I think we've covered a lot of ground here, so uh, just got to uh, gotta get to fabbing. Yep, get those bids in. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMelchiorBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to check out 
the ads and drops column on the site. Get 40% off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. Al, thanks for stepping in for Beller on Sunday. Oh, man, always a pleasure. Obviously, if you want to hear more of Al, you can hear him every weekday on Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you listen to this show, I hope you're listening to that one already. Be sure to sign up uh, or subscribe to that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on the Athletic app, anywhere you enjoy your podcasts. For El Melchior, I'm Derek Van Riper. Good luck with Fab this week. We are back with you Wednesday with Under the Radar.